0: This is Dave Brown, and welcome to the Frontline Freedom Adventure Therapy Podcast. As an adventure therapy nonprofit organization, we cater to frontline workers, especially those in the public safety and healthcare sectors. On this podcast, we cover relevant topics to public safety and our frontline workers' overall health by exploring the mental health benefits gained through outdoor recreation, leadership development, and self-improvement. If you have a story you'd like to share, send us an email at podcast at frontlinefreedom.org. If you're looking for more information about Frontline Freedom adventure Therapy trips, check out our website at www.frontlinefreedom.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Frontline Freedom podcast. You got Josh and Dave here with you again. Good morning, Josh. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. Today, I wanted to talk about where supervisors go wrong in the mental health aspect of um, their employees. Um, And I hate using that word employees because it, it sets a bad connotation, but... Um, you know, unfortunately the, the hierarchy being what it is, there's, uh, some missteps that I think are, especially our frontline supervisors don't even know that they're making. So, um, mm-hmm. like to chat about that a little bit and we will change names, circumstances, and events to protect the innocent, of course, or the guilty, <laughs> depending on which way Sorry. you look at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was reading an article, and I know I sent it to you a couple weeks back, but it talked Mm -hmm. about a study that was conducted on firefighters and um, PTSD symptoms. And the big thing that came out of that uh, study, and it was something that was not intended as a result of the study, was the impact of frontline supervisors on mental health of um, those directly in their chain of command. And essentially what it said was, people who have a close-knit relationship, almost like a mentorship um, with their frontline supervisor, they're almost protected from PTSD symptoms because that person acts almost as a soundboard on everything from on-the-job stress and, um, you know, at home, you know, because we all have stuff going on outside of work. You know, we're, we're naive to think that our stress just stops it at, at the workday, but having that frontline supervisor that creates that bond of trust with is such an important factor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess, have you seen in your, in your time, in your career, where you've had that person where you just felt good coming to work because you knew that that person directly in charge of you and your chain of command had your back no matter
1: what? Absolutely. I've seen both spectrums. I've seen, um, you know, one assignment in particular that I had, um, the, and, and I, ha- I had a couple first line supervisors that, dude, you could not ask for, I mean, when you, when you think a leader, like these guys are the ones that pop right in my head. I mean, true leadership. Um, and I've also had the other experience where I'd be driving to work and, you know, it wasn't even about the people that I may have to fight on duty. <laughs> I was more concerned with what that individual was going to come up with that day.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the dreaded micromanager comes to mind. Is that, is that um, kind of spot on with that or something well, a little different? Well, in,
1: in, in this circumstance, I wouldn't even say it was micromanaging. I mean, I'd almost call it a level of bullying.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I've been in that situation myself where you've just, you know, I've worked for people where I dread coming to work. And that is a sad state of affairs because of how much time we spent in our careers and our profession, how much we put in to get to where we are mm-hmm. and then to just turn around and dread coming and doing that job just because one person makes your life miserable.
1: Well, exactly. Especially with, you know, you know, in a job that everything is based on trust, um, you know, trust that, Hey, in the event that something goes South today, you know, th- this is the person I have to trust. That's going to, you know, tell my family I didn't make it home, or this is the person that is going to um you know, go pick my family up because I've been injured at work and relay them to hospital. And, yeah, I mean, versus the, the other side with another assignment I had where, you know, the, the first line supervisors that I had were absolutely phenomenal. I can't say enough good things about them.
0: And see, I think we all wish we could work for people like that. And, you know, I, I don't want to make this a, uh, you know, point out the bad because I I know there's probably someone listening right now that just is thinking to themselves, okay, this supervisor is just a pushover and doesn't hold people accountable. And there's a huge difference between having trust and Mm -hmm. lack of accountability, because I can think to uh, a specific supervisor I had for my first four to five years of my career was probably the most intimidating person I've ever met in my life at the time. And he didn't let me get away with anything. I mean, it was, when you talk about accountability, that's who made me into a better person because I couldn't, I couldn't slack just a little bit on a a report because it would get kicked back with the most red ink I've ever seen on. I mean, (laughs) it one mistake and I was redoing the entire thing, which, and that was the days when whiteout was a no-go. Yes. Yeah. You couldn't use whiteout (laughs) on anything. And you know, now, you know, you just use the backstage button, button, but, uh,
1: (laughs) but now but here, here, here I think is, is the key to that though you know the difference when somebody's doing it to help you improve and become a better officer, firefighter, you know, paramedic, doctor, you know, ER personnel, you know, whatever versus the person that's just doing it because well, for the wrong reasons.
0: Right. And I think the big thing is there is how to approach from the the leader themselves and You know, thinking back to those people that I worked for, almost every one of them that I really 100% trusted were always the ones that did hold me accountable to Mm -hmm. a whole new level. Uh, I mean, the pushovers were the ones that I didn't trust because I could sham wow them a little bit. You know, we're human. We're going to take the path of least resistance no matter what we do. But the ones that kept me on the straight and narrow approached me with a sense of mentorship and that same uh, supervisor I was telling you about where it just kicked everything back. He called me off the road one night and, you know, I was working midnights. It's like two 30. So it's like drunk time. He calls me to the post and he's angry and I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I and, know who this
1: person is. He's a good dude. though. Man.
0: He is. And we still, he retired years ago and we yep. still talk frequently, but, yep. um, he kicked, he, he pulled me into the, uh, the room at the post and, uh, he sits down, he's got these three crash reports and they're completely like giant red writing all over them. I mean, just in his angry voice. And he sits down and he goes, Brown, I'm getting tired of correcting all your crap. So we're going to sit through this and go, go through it and figure out how to fix you. And I'm like, Oh crap. And you know what, the way he did it, you know, that was the angriest he sounded because as soon as he opened the first report and he said, okay. Here's what I do. I'm looking to make sure this matches and this matches. Okay. See how these don't match. That's because it's wrong. So that's how I do it. And he systematically went through that entire report and it probably took an hour and it Mm -hmm. felt, it never, it never felt like I was getting remedial training. It just felt like someone who cared. That was just like, Hey, I just want you to do better. And I'm tired of doing, um, kicking your stuff back because I don't feel good about that either. And I'm telling you, holding me accountable, and maintaining that trust and approaching it from a mentorship side is what I think made me into a better person than I am today.
1: Yeah. And and I, having worked with that same person, having had that person supervise me at one point and yeah, he, you know, the, the cool thing about him is he, he has a very high standard in every capacity, whether it's your paperwork, um, your integrity, your daily operations, your uniform appearance has a very high standard. But with him, he maintained that standard. Yeah. Um, so you you know when you were getting held, or when I or you, either one would be getting held accountable by this person. It w- we weren't getting held accountable for something that he doesn't do, hundred percent of the time, and 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 give it all of his effort. You know, and that's, and at least for me, that's a big deal versus the person that is a, you know a do as I say, not as I do. Um, you know, because, you know, when they are, because they're, they're, in their mind, they're being the gatekeeper. They're maintaining the professionalism of that agency, you know what I mean? But the hard part of that is when they actually do it the right way, it is work. Um, so in my opinion, when you have, you know, that first line supervisor or somebody in, in a leadership position, regardless of, you know, you know, whatever job it is, um, that person's work ethic is probably second to none. And they're taking the time to bring their, you know, people they're responsible for up to speed to a higher standard. So in the event of their absence, it's seamless. You know what I mean? Versus oh, yeah. the other person that is uh, do as I say, not as I do, or, you know, leads through whether it's intimidation or, you know, any of these other you know, yeah, you know, they're going to get results. It's going to be quick results. But over time, you know, if you take a thoroughbred and you keep whipping that thoroughbred, in time that thoroughbred is going to quit running for you.
0: Yeah, you're right. And we've seen that time and time again, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. So I think the big thing that makes a good supervisor into a good leader that you can trust is, you know, thinking back to this uh, particular individual, when we were at the scene of anything, he was there with us. I mean, no matter how big or small, even if he had a ton of administrative duties to do back at the office, he would stop what he was doing, come out, help us through it, didn't even ask what we needed. He already knew. He was that in tune with us just from hearing us on the radio um, and doing the job for enough uh, or for long enough years that he would just, you know, pick up pen and paper at the scene, start helping us through it. Mm -hmm. And then if it were something that were messed up, you know, where you're seeing something that, um, the normal public doesn't see at the end of that scene, whenever we got everything buttoned up, it was always let's, you know, almost like have a debrief. Let's go Mm -hmm. out and we'll head to Waffle House and we'll just have breakfast and we'll just talk. But there was a lot that needed to happen in that, that that kept us sane and kept us able to come back and do the job the next day and the day after and the day after that. And I think it's, that's where that difference started.
1: Yeah, and I think that, and also with with how he was doing it, it was a shared experience. So, you know, again, you know, I I can only speak for me, but, you know, looking back through my career, there's situations where you think, man, you know, if something should have really bothered me, it would have been this this incident or this incident or this incident. Surprisingly enough, um, those incidents that, I what most people would deem as bad. Um, I'm I'm not saying that there's not some form of, you know, whatever, but I I really don't struggle with those. And one of the reasons is, or I think, is it was a shared experience. And it was with, you know, teammates I had. Um, You know, and we always, you know, our leadership at the time was huge on debriefing you know, something as simple as you know, we could do a, uh, a training event, say one repetition in a day's training, and every repetition got debriefed thoroughly, and that carried over into the real world. So, you know, with being the shared experiences, and you know what I mean. I think that's no, one of I the do. reasons I don't I don't struggle with some of those. And then, I guess if you look at the one situation where it just completely broke me, for lack of better terms if you compared it to some of the other things i've been involved in there's really no compa- i mean it, it was sad it was you know it it wrecked a family's life however you know if you look at the, the physical components compared to some other things that had transpired in my career it really it wasn't as bad but it completely demolished me but in that instance i was primarily alone and by myself
0: yeah and I think that's the, the key there is, you know, that that frontline supervisor has such a critical role to keeping people level, level headed and, um, you know, just creating a safe environment. And my, I guess my criticism of leadership um, in recent years has been this push to be like a more of like a touchy feely type of leadership. And that doesn't always work. Sometimes you do have to roll up your sleeves and get the hands dirty, and that's mm-hmm. where the touchy-feely leadership fails, I think, and that's where I think you know if you look at our leaders who are prior military, that's where they thrive. Mm-hmm. But then when it's time to be touch and feely, they fail. So you kind of have to have both of those blends, and I think that's where you know we're talking about this specific supervisors that keep us where we need to be that's where they thrived because they could play both of those parts very easily you know they're the ones that were you know kicking indoors with you and then as soon as it was done it was hey are you okay you mm-hmm. know is everything all right at home and that's when the touchy feely part started and i hate calling it touchy feely stuff because it, it makes like a stigma but the the bottom line is is it's just caring for your people and that's that's it that's the hugest I don't know if I just made up a word there. Or yeah, not. I think you did. And
1: what's <laughs> scary is like you're the smart one of the crew. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that far.
0: But you know what I mean. You have these, you have these supervisors that can play both sides of it very well, and those are the people that we need to be. Uh, um, putting these key positions for that, that supervisor on that frontline level, because they're the ones that they know what's going on in your personal life. If you, if you are listening to this right now, and you're in a position of leadership and you don't know what's going on in the lives of your direct uh, subordinates, you're failing them. You don't realize it, but you are failing them. And I think that goes such a long way, especially, you know, when it comes to those debrief times and, uh, You know, that particular sergeant I was talking about um, that retired many years ago, before he retired, he actually transferred to a different facility, and he had such an impact on my life that I was at a fatal crash where five people um, were killed, including an infant, and that was hard enough to deal with. You know, everyone went out to go do death notification. Since I was at the scene, I was kind of exempt from that. You know, it was just, you know what? You dealt with that. Don't deal with the families. Well, there was some miscommunication at the first death notification. And the mother of of the driver called everyone else that was in that car, their families, and said, hey, there's been a crash. Go to the hospital. So Um. now everyone's out trying to make death notification except for me. I've just been at the scene, and now we get a call from the hospital that has no idea what's going on because – there's no one there from a crash because in that area that we worked in, the morgue was separate from the hospital, wasn't the same facility. So they call me and ask me to come and, you know, basically tell five different families what happened. And at the end of that, dude, I was smoked. I -hmm. mean, that's probably, you know, if people ask me what my worst day on the job was, it was that. And I've never been able to get the image of the scene out of my head. Mm -hmm. But I think the worst part of that was, after I'd made this death notification for these, um, you know, five people who lost their lives out of this crash, mom walked in with son and mom couldn't physically bring it to tell her son what happened. So she just looks at me and she says, you do it. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, you know, bending down on one knee in that hospital, um, waiting room and and telling this five-year-old kid that his dad's not coming home. Wow! And Dude, I'm telling you, it's That's it's things like that, that people love. don't realize how much they wreck you from the inside. Mm-hmm. And they expect that, you know, okay, once you leave the hospital, you're good. Go out and, you know, do your job some more. It doesn't work that way. The first no. thing I did when I left there was called that specific sergeant, even though he was no longer um, in my chain of command because he transferred to a different facility, different section. Mm-hmm. I called him at three in the morning was like, uh, I don't know what just happened to me, but mentally I'm smoked. And yeah. he probably talked to me for an hour on the phone, just making sure I was okay. Mm-hmm. And I honestly look back at that incident and realize that the only reason that I didn't break was because of his direct influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting to go full circle because that was 10 years ago. And so here we are 10 years later, and I'm reading a report that basically says your frontline supervisor has the most impact on on whether or not you have symptoms of PTSD, anxiety, depression, or any other um, mental health related issues that arise as a result of traumatic exposures on the job.
1: Absolutely. And like I said, you know, and and I, and I can only speak, you know, from my experience. So, you know, when I was in a one assignment where, you know, I I was part of a team, I guess for lack of better terms, um, somebody that's now become a very close friend of mine was my Sergeant for many years. And, I mean, if, I think, you know, some of the things that, that group of people that we experienced together, had you had the wrong person in that spot, you know, I'm, you know, I, it, I, I don't know how it would have affected me or, or or some of the other guys, but, um, but it meant it was like a family, you know what I mean? Like, our wives were family. We were family. Uh, the kids. I mean, we did everything together. Even even in our off-duty time, it was in. Like I said, and in that time frame in my career, not that there wasn't, you know, stuff that happened. But you know, looking back, I a lot of those things that were experienced, or I had shared experiences with some of those guys. I don't. I, I don't seem, you know, where I'm talking about them, thinking about them. It doesn't really bring up the raw emotion versus, you know, the one case, the day that, that you know about specifically, um, you know, here I am how many years later, you know, five years later, and it, I can't even get, you know, tr- telling the story. I can't even get through it. Um, but you know, the, the, the only difference is, is not only the, the leadership, but it was a shared experience versus an experience that was kind of all on me. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I do.
1: And that's where, you know, like if people that are in super, supervisory positions or you don't have to be in a supervisory position, you can be, you know, Joe Blow Grunt like myself. You don't have to have the title to to be a leader. Um, so, you know, when when there is experience, the thing is, you know, people almost, you know, I've seen that people want to compare like different traumas. Like, well, mine wasn't this or yours was that. And it doesn't matter. Well,
0: no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't yeah. matter.
1: So, you know, what may be trauma for me may, may not affect you and, and vice versa. But, you know, it boils down to this. It just, it, it just be a good dude. Like, yeah, you know, when you're in that leadership position, just don't forget, one, where you came from. You know, the, the things about the job that you liked, the things about the job that you dislike, the things about the job that you hope you never have to do again, and... And remember that. And then if you have a buddy, a friend, a co it doesn't matter. Like another person, you know what I mean? Like make it a shared experience. Right. Um, and, and then when, when they're rock bottom, make that a shared experience. You know, so so they don't have to, you know, like this this two months I was off work, like for me, I got worse. Because for years I was accustomed to being part of, I, I, I guess, a team, a, a team environment. So, you know, when I got put off work, you know, now, you know, you kind of been identified as that guy, you know, two, now, now you're completely isolated. And, you know, I had a really, really difficult time with that. Um, now, in hindsight, it, I learned a lot. You, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, in, in a positive sense, it's almost like the more or the deeper I got into the pit or the more that I was broken the outcome in long term was more positive because it taught me empathy again that not that I forgot I just I just you know tuned all those feelings out it taught me how to care again it taught me compassion it taught me you know what I mean and I think when you're talking about people that enter leadership positions whether they have the title or not it just boils back to caring about people
0: yeah. You know what I mean? Like you said, being a good person, being a good, you, you know, leader doesn't mean I outrank you or I make more money than you or I'm a formal position of authority over you. Lateral leadership is a huge thing, mm-hmm. you know, and. I think when it comes to mental health, having that shared experience and that safety net to be able to talk to people, and like you said, you're you're isolated. If you have to go through a fit for duty process, it feels isolating.
1: Very much, so, and yeah. I
0: I think what we need to do a better job of as people is when someone is feeling isolated, that's our time to reach out to them mm-hmm. because. We, we don't get anywhere by outcasting people, forgetting about them, and just letting them do their thing, right? We we have to bring them back along with us as part of society yeah. and let them know that, okay, you might be going through a hard time, but we still want you here, and you still belong here. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And that's huge, man. I mean, like I said, I mean, people want to feel like they're a part of something, you, yes. You, you know what I mean? And then, you know, like I'll, I'll use my circumstances and, and I didn't know this at the time. It's easy to look back and, and look at all the different things that I learned, but people want to have, they need purpose. Yes. Um, you know, when I was in that, worked in that team environment, man, it, you know, fool, I'm not saying foolishly, like, but the, there's a lot of things I, I, I put to the side. and It, it was foolish on my part, but um, I, I felt I was a part of something. Um, now I can say, hey, the stress of the job started getting to me. I, I, I went to what I thought was going to be an easier assignment, um, and, and that's when I just tanked. But that easier, what I thought was an easier assignment, was primarily by myself. It was more an, an investigative role. Um, you know, I lost. It's almost like I lost my identity. You know, and I lost that sense of purpose. And when I lost that, man, like it was just a very fast descent. Um, you know, now coming out the other side, what I learned and what I try to tell people is like, you got to have purpose, man. Like there has to be a reason you get up every day, whether that is for, you know, a family, whatever drives you, um, you know, and this job, you can't make it your identity because when that identity gets taken, you lose everything. And if you don't figure that out now, before that happens, you know, that's why I think, you know, we see, you know, people that make it to retirement, like, you know, there's some people that's when their struggles really begin.
0: Yeah. Because they lose that sense of purpose or that sense of belonging. And one of my favorite books, and I've used it probably, this is probably the fourth or fifth time now um, on this podcast is um, Meditations from Marcus Aurelius is written almost 2000 years ago, but there's so much in it that applies to today um, that we can get knowledge from. And we're talking about Um, cutting people out from society and making Mm -hmm. them feel like they're they're out there. But there's a, there's a section and he's, his book is written written in uh, several different versions of books. So in his book, 11, he starts out by saying a branch cut from its neighboring branches necessarily cut away from the whole tree in the same way, a human being severed from just one. Another human being has dropped from the whole community. Now the branch is cut off by someone else, but a man separates himself from his neighbor by his own hatred or rejection, not realizing that he has thereby severed himself from the wider society of fellow citizens. Separation makes it harder to unite and restore the divided part. And I think, there's a lot that he said in there. Um, That's spot on, dude. It, it is. And it was written 2,000 years ago. And it's it's so interesting to me how spot on his writings were because he wrote this book in a time of war and mm-hmm. that was during a 15-year plague. Um, so, you know, here we are. You know, yeah. society's in an upheaval, it seems, overnight. And we're in the middle of another plague. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can still find... Um, similarities to things that happened 2000 years ago, but it it is spot on. We're, we're designed to be here by nature and anything outside of that, um, of that togetherness goes against our own very nature. And he goes on later in that that, uh, paragraph to state basically that you don't have to agree with people. Um, but you still have to be part of them. And what he says is share their stock, but not their doctrines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of, wisdom in that if we can just learn to live that with one another despite our right. differences despite our struggles we share common stock with each other not necessarily our doctrines or our philosophies about life or our political persuasions or or religious beliefs or anything else but we're still humans and we're meant to be with each other
1: mm-hmm. agreed
0: absolutely so in looking at you know how that supervisor plays that crucial role to mental health is a kind of a you know, a preventative measure, we looked at it from the frontline freedom side and kind of came up with a, a different way to a, attack things. Because for so long, we've been telling people, hey, you know, go online, sign up, you know, we'll take you out in the woods with us. And then right. as we've taken some groups out, some of the things that we've heard are, wow, I've missed this sense of camaraderie.
1: Yeah, well, that's and that's, I would say that, yeah, every time we go out, we hear that.
0: Yes. So, Pairing that with this report about the firefighters and the impact of the frontline supervisors, we kind of came up with a different idea, and that does two things. It gets people out into the woods and on their way to healing, but it also gets rid of the mental health stigma that surrounds you know, that topic we've talked about so many times about being afraid to reach out for help. It kind of eliminates that because what we can do is sell it as a team building. Um, it's still free of charge. You're still going out in the woods and hanging out. It's a preventative measure against uh, mental health issues that may arise because of on-the-job related traumas and exposures, but it's sold as a team-building exercise.
1: Right. Well, and also being the shared experience, you know, let's say I'm the guy that's a part of this team shift, you know, whatever, that, you know, you guys, you know, my, my squad mates or teammates or guys on my shift, you know, whatever, have identified that, hey, you know, josh is really struggling like you know what let's all in you know now we all understand logistically with scheduling like there's some things that'll have to be overcome but hey let's let's go do this backpacking trip with these frontline guys but we're we're gonna do it as a a cohesive team and now um you've taken you know maybe somebody's individual traumas or individual things are struggling with and you're making it a, a shared environment and it's not a mental health thing. It's not, hey, this guy's broke or this guy's weak or it's just, hey, we're going to go do this as a unit and um, it and it is, you know, it is a preventative thing that you know there may be somebody that is seeing, you know, newer to the job or or just in the beginning stages of you know some things that are bothering them and in you're, you're nipping the bud out out in advance.
0: Yeah, you're giving them a safe space and people that they automatically build trust with. And I equate it to, you know, Josh, for you and I in our careers, we have statewide agency. So you typically only see the same 12 to 18 people throughout your career. But once in a while, you go off and do a special assignment that's somewhere else and you meet somebody new. And it almost seems like just from doing that, even if it's a one-time thing, you meet them and you almost have this weird connection with them for the rest of your career that every time you see them, you're like, Oh, Hey, you remember that time X, Y, and Z it's the same concept. You know, you're creating that, that bond that's kind of out of the norm. Um, and, and you're out in a safe space. And if you're a supervisor, you owe it to your shift, uh, to get them out in the woods with us, you know, just do it as a team building thing. It's still free because we're a nonprofit design specifically, um, for mental health resource, and we can directly tie that with research that shows that this is a preventative measure, and we will cover that expense. And that's yeah, and that's we'll, what we would like to see.
1: Yeah, you know, and let's say you know you get a shift or a group of guys, um, like we'll tailor the trip for your needs, um, you know, so you know you can have that shared experience. You can you can build that team where it, it's it's a, a more cohesive unit, which long term is going to make the team stronger, which you know, more of shared burdens, um, and ultimately more successful. Absolutely. Well, cool. Dave, one of the things I was thinking about, um, and you know how my memory is, but you know, like going through, you know, say somebody that they just they keep sinking down into the pit. They they've hit what they hope is the rock bottom because it's like, wow, how much lower can it go? But when they come out the other side, you know, in my experience, something that a lot of people don't talk about is, you know, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but the end result is painful as everything is in the process, but the end result is so worth it. Um, the, The things that it teaches you about yourself, about things that you've forgotten it. I mean, it's almost like, you know, the more you're broken, the better the outcome. And and it sucks. There can be a positive side to, to going through some of this stuff.
0: No, I think that's uh, very insightful because it's almost like anything where whatever stands in the way is the way that you need to go. And you know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, the harder that something is, the better the reward. And sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, you're kind of pushing this pebble up a hill and a pebble becomes a boulder and it becomes very heavy. And you just hit that tipping point. We can just push it over the other side. And that's when, you know, you talk about that reward. It's Mm. tough going up the hill, but once you do it, the reward is amazing.
1: Truly. Yeah. And it kind of ties in with what we do with backpacking. You know, when we did that Vermont trip, like we climbed Killington mountain, took us two days. That's and a it,
0: long climb.
1: Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's probably closer to day and happy, more realistic, but we walked for two days more or less. But dude, when we got to the top, dude, it was like the pictures were posted on Instagram. It it's beautiful. Yeah. But does not even remotely do it justice. You know, doesn't and, and like you said, you know, you and I've been to Grayson Highlands together, you know, doing that climb, but when, when you get to that first campsite on night one, it's so worth it.
0: Yeah, we have our own little Freedom Rock that we can look out.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: In case anyone doesn't know, we renamed a rock up there. It's called Freedom Rock now. Yeah.
1: It's not official. I don't think any state governments or national parks know that happened, but it it's no, our rock. We
0: named it. It's official yeah, enough. It it's our rock. <laughs> it's our rock. We <laughs> took it. Well, dude, as always, I appreciate you uh, making time to uh, come out and and share your thoughts and wisdom, and um, hopefully, we can encourage some people to come out into the woods with us, and you know, and hopefully, share their own personal journeys to healing and self improvement, and just being a better version of themselves tomorrow than what they are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Frontline Freedom Adventure Therapy Podcast. If you have a story you'd like to share, send us an email at podcast at frontlinefreedom.org. And if you're looking for more information on Frontline Freedom Adventure Therapy Trips, check out our website at www.frontlinefreedom.org.